There's so much going on here today. Uh, I'm so glad that church is not boring. I mean, really, I mean, there's just so much going on. It's just, you know, words and, you know, prophetic words and healing and, and you know, people being called into the kingdom. I was watching this painting over here. And I don't know if anybody watched it. it, the way it developed. It started off, it was a blonde chick <laughs> with light blue eyes. And before worship is over, it's a brunette with these dark features. And uh, as I was looking at that, I, I was thinking, you know, Mark, could you just not decide? No. Uh, the Lord said to me, there's somebody here who feels stuck and frustrated. And change is coming. Change is coming. So just know, God's not finished. There's more paint Coming. So, hey, and guess what else? We got a new grandbaby. <laughs> yeah. Our basketball team is complete. We have five now. And uh, so uh, the point guard, Aubrey Grace, is, is ready in the fold. And uh, so uh, continue to pray for them. Tyler and Grace Ann, uh, our son-in-law and daughter, had their, their third and our fifth. So, pretty exciting. Good, good stuff. They're doing well and hopefully uh, go home soon. We started last week a series on the kingdom of God and we talked about the king of the kingdom. Uh, and we said that the king, this is a different kind of king. And, and some of the images, whatever images you have when you think of kings, uh, King Jesus is, is just different. He's, he's better. He, he's, he's better than any other king. He, he's a different kind of king. And uh, we also said last week that uh, we threw out a, a quote by Scott McKnight. And uh, Scott's quote is, The character of the king determines the character of the kingdom. The character of the king determines the the character of the kingdom. And so we're going to dig into that a little bit today uh, as we approach, as we, as we come into the idea of the people of the kingdom. We've looked at the king of the kingdom. Today we want to look at the people of the kingdom. And I, I told the, the, the prayer group as we prayed before the service that our, our prayer is that we will find some similarities between the people of the kingdom and the king. I mean, that's, that's the goal, right? The goal is that the people of the kingdom would look like the king. And that's what uh, Scott McKnight means when he says the character of the king determines uh, the character of the kingdom. And so what are the characteristics that should be evident in the lives of those who are following this different kind of king? If we have said, I want to surrender to this king I want to be a part of his kingdom. I want to follow him. I want to live my life according to what he desires and what he wants rather than what I want for myself. What are some characteristics? What are we going to look like? What are some things that that should be evident in our lives? And so I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read. Uh, This is the most famous sermon ever preached. Uh, It's the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. In the very beginning of this, uh, he throws some things out that we refer to as the Beatitudes. 
And uh, they're more than attitudes, by the way. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit as we get into it. But let's start at verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. We, we, uh, we don't want to just hear about uh, what a kingdom person looks like. We, we want to be kingdom people. And uh, Lord, we know that mostly that's not something that we're, we're taught or that we learn. It's, it's something that you impart. It's something that you work in us. And so we want to open ourselves to you today. And we say, move in us. Change us. Make us like you. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things, if you stick around here for very long, one of the things that you'll hear me say is that uh, there are things that God wants to do. There are things that God wants to do through his church. There are things that he wants to use his church, not just Riverstone Church, but his church in our community. There are things that he wants to use his church to accomplish uh, for the betterment of this community. And so there, there's a desire in God's heart to work through his people. But before he works through his people, he works in his people. He works in his people. There are things that he wants to do in you to position you so that he can then work through you. And I would say also, not only does God want to work in you, he wants to work among you. There are things that God wants to do in his body uh, to better position his body and equip his body for influence in the world. So just keep in mind as we, as we kind of work through this today that there are things that God wants to do in you. There are things that God wants to do among us. And, and one of the primary purposes for that is so that he can do things through us uh, in the community. So much of what I want to share today comes from a sermon that's pretty old. And it was preached in the 1700s. So you were thinking maybe that it was a, one of my old sermons. Older than that. <laughs> Older than that. John Wesley uh, preached it back in the 1700s. And uh, so some of the things I want to share uh, are from John Wesley. And if you want to see his sermon in its entirety, uh, you can find it in a book called A Heritage of Great Evangelical Teaching. 
bunch of sermons in there by a bunch of people whose names you'll recognize. Uh, my name is not in there. Uh, a heritage of great evangelical teaching. So seven things. We're going to move through seven things today uh, rather quickly. Uh, seven characteristics. Number one, he says, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and sometimes it's kind of hard to figure out, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? I mean, uh, you know, I think of poor, and I think that poor means to have lack. And, you know, I think of spirit. I know that God wants us to be spiritual. So do I really want to be spiritually poor? I mean, that doesn't, doesn't seem right. Billy Graham believed that if you replaced the word poor with the word humble, you would understand this verse uh, better. So blessed are the humble in spirit. Blessed are the humble in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Pride comes in, in a lot of forms. Pride will, will sneak into your life in a, in a lot of different ways. And perhaps the worst form of pride is spiritual pride. Uh, the only way to approach God is with a humble heart. And you, know, you may be thinking, well, but, but what about where it says in Scripture to come boldly to the throne? Well, boldly doesn't mean arrogantly, okay? Boldly doesn't mean arrogantly. Uh, when we approach God, we always approach in humility. I would say even that you approach the throne with bold humility. Bold humility. Well, what, what is that? That just sounds weird. What is bold humility? We are humble in the light of our weakness, and we are bold in the light of his strength. So our humility is based on knowing who we are, and our boldness is based on knowing who he is. So blessed are the poor in spirit, or blessed are the humble in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. God is calling us into relationship with him that is based on how good he is. It's not, you know, a pursuit where we try to be as spiritual as we can be so that we can say, I've arrived. I am the most spiritual person in my neighborhood. And I'm, you know, I didn't get yard of the month, but I got Christian of the month. And I put a sign in my front yard. That's not, that's not the pursuit that we're talking about. You will never hear me say that Riverstone is the best church. You just, you'll never hear me say it because that's not what it's about. We are just one of many expressions of God's kingdom in this community. And it's not about being better than. It's not about being better than other Christians. It's not about being better than other churches. It's about humbly approaching the throne of God so that he can do his work in us so that we can have impact and influence in his world and, and in our community. So we are humble in light of our weakness and we're bold in light of his strength. 
The second thing Jesus says is, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And typically when we listen, when we read that verse, blessed are those who mourn, uh, we read that around funerals, and, and there's certainly a lot in Scripture that lets us know uh, that God has a tender heart towards those who suffer loss. We we'll even remember when Jesus was standing at the tomb of Lazarus, and, and shortest verse in all of Scripture, Jesus wept. You know, that's the first memory verse, you know, if you want to memorize a verse. I, I recommend that one. <laughs> Jesus wept. Uh, shows his heart. He has this tender heart towards those who suffer loss. But uh, there are many who believe that in this particular context, mourn, mourning means something different. Uh, many believe that what he's actually saying uh, is that in this particular context, mourning over sin. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who have sorrow over their sin. Another word for that would be repentance. Blessed are those who have repentant hearts. Uh, the Bible talks about having godly sorrow. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 says, Godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to life. Now, we're not talking about guilt and shame. Guilt and shame lead to depression, which leads to death. But godly sorrow, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, when we agree with what God is saying about us, that leads to repentance, which leads to life. And so here he's saying, blessed are those with repentant hearts. They will be comforted. Uh, the third thing he says is, blessed are the meek. Not the meeks. <laughs> Although the, the meeks are blessed as well. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Uh, Wesley would say that meekness means able to suffer without losing control. Able to suffer without losing control. A meek person has a calm assurance that God's will can be trusted. Even when it's not initially pleasant. How many of us have said, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you, until something happened and then we say, God, what are you doing? Where are you? I thought this was going to happen, and then this happened. But a meek, a person who's meek, has a meek spirit, is a person who has a calm assurance that God's will can be trusted, even when things are not initially pleasant. John Wesley actually called meekness having a divine temper, or a divine temperament, having an attitude like Christ. He related meekness to patience in suffering, to a resignation or, or a resoluteness to God's will no matter what the cost, to a gentleness, having a gentleness towards all people, especially the evil and ungrateful. How many times, how often do we pray, God, make me Tender and patient towards 
evil people and ungrateful people. Do we pray that or do we pray, God, where is your lightning? <laughs> now, meek doesn't mean never angry. We know, we know obviously, you know, when Jesus cleansed the temple, there was some stuff going on there. But it means in control of thoughts and emotions and using both for good. Actually using both for God's glory. Now, it's not just a Christ-like attitude. I said earlier, these, these beatitudes are not just attitudes, but they are attitudes, they are impartations, and they are, they are things that God does in us that result in actions. Jesus says, when you bring an offering and you get to the altar and you're about to make your offering and you remember that you have something against a brother... Leave the offering, go and be reconciled to your brother, and then come back and make the offering. Now, why does he say that? Why does he say that? And some would, would quickly say, well, because until we forgive and are forgiven in relationships with others, we, we can't forgive or be forgiven in relationship with God. And there, there's some truth in that. There's certainly some scripture that points in that direction. But here's the biggest thing. Here's the biggest reason is that God wants your physical life and your spiritual life to match. He wants your physical life and your spiritual life to match. And too often, there's a gap that exists between what we say we believe and how we behave. And so, uh, meekness is this attitude that is followed by an action where your spiritual life and your physical life agree. When he says, the meek shall inherit the earth, he's actually speaking against the common notion and attitude of that day and actually of this day that says, the rich just keep on getting richer. And if you want yours you got to take it. If you want yours, you better look out for number one because nobody else will. He's speaking against that attitude, and he's saying don't clutch and grab the meek, those who have the attitude of Christ in all that they believe and say and do, who are tenderhearted even towards the evil and ungrateful people that the they're around, those people will actually inherit the earth. So the fourth thing then, he says, is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. We hunger and we thirst for things that we don't have or don't have enough of. That's why pride is the greatest enemy to spiritual hunger and growth. Once you feel like I've arrived, I am there, I have maxed out on being spiritual. Guess what happens? You lose your appetite. Hunger and thirst are the strongest of the appetites of the body. 
And when spiritual hunger and thirst truly ignite within us, they surpass every other desire. You will find your hunger for God. We had had Leadership 101 uh, yesterday, and, and Mason was doing a talk on the Holy Spirit, and he talked about how when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, that this hunger for God's Word just exploded in his life. It wasn't something that he worked up. It wasn't something that he determined in his will. It was something that God birthed in him. He, was, he, he gave himself to the Lord. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and this hunger for God just burst upon him. Hunger and thirst, spiritual hunger and thirst, can only be met by God. When you're physically hungry and thirsty, you can only meet that through food or drink. When you are spiritually hungry, only God can satisfy. And that's why he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You remember last week we said, only Jesus is righteous. And so this verse actually is saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for Jesus. They will be satisfied. Now, when your hunger for God is satisfied by God, guess what happens? You grow in mercy. And the fifth thing that Jesus mentions is blessed are the merciful, they will be shown mercy. Now, having mercy is a lot like loving those who are not lovable. Uh, Raise your hand if you know unlovable people. Point to them. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. How about that? Um, Blessed are the merciful. Having mercy is like loving those who who are not lovable. Having compassion for those who don't hunger for God. Have you thought about that? Being merciful towards people who are not hungry for God. They're just apathetic. They they don't even care. They're agnostic or disinterested. Having mercy for them. The merciful rejoice in the blessings and the successes of others. If God imparts mercy in your heart, and you become one of these where Jesus is saying, blessed are the merciful, you'll find that jealousy and envy will just start to fall off of you. And you won't be upset if somebody else gets credit for something that you wanted to get credit for. You'll just be glad that there's fruit in the kingdom. It won't matter who gets the credit. You won't be upset that somebody else is getting promoted and you've been in the same job. What you'll be focused on is, God, am I where you want me to be? Am I where you want me to be? So the merciful rejoice in the blessings and the successes of others instead of saying, what about me? When is my turn? I feel like I'm being passed over. But the, the merciful... Rejoice when others are blessed. 
Mercy is not judgmental. It's not harsh. It doesn't jump to conclusions. It's not blind. It's not gullible. It sees clearly. But it responds in love rather than hatred. The merciful even weep over the sins of their enemies. And they choose to believe the best about their friends and their family and those that God has placed around them. And because of their love for mercy, God is merciful towards them. Because they love mercy, they receive mercy. The sixth thing that Jesus says is, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And the pure in heart are those who have a heart like God's. God is the only one with a pure heart. So if we're going to have a pure heart, then what's going to happen is our heart is actually going to be ripped out of our chest. God is going to remove the heart of stone, and replace it with a heart of flesh. A heart that he can write his name on. A heart that he can write his character on. A heart that he can pour his love through. If you've ever heard me do a wedding, you may have heard me say that the foundation of marriage is unconditional love. Which is crazy because no human being is capable of loving unconditionally for any length of time. We, we, we may could do it for a few days, probably more likely a few minutes. Unconditional love is an incredible thing. And, and so why would God establish this incredible institution, this husband and wife coming together for, to form a family, and the foundation of it is something that they can't do? Because he wants to do it in them. He wants to do it through them. The only way that I can love this woman the way God wants her to be loved is if I let him do it. And the minute I take the reins, the minute I take control, the minute I start being in charge, it just gets all messed up. It's the love of God in me, loving through me. That's what it means to have a pure heart. It's a supernatural heart transplant. A supernatural heart transplant. The heart of God is replaced or God, God has replaced our old stone heart with his heart. The pure in heart, they're just different. The pure in heart, they just they walk differently, they talk differently, they act differently. You, you recognize them immediately. They're trustworthy. The seventh thing, he says, is blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called sons of God. Now, peacemakers... Or those who want things to be okay. You know, they, they don't like conflict. They don't like strife. They truly want things to be better. They want to keep peace where it is. And they want to bring peace where it's not. They are promoters of goodwill everywhere. Especially among God's people. 
And they will, they will, as much as possible, do good towards all people. Family, friends, neighbors, and strangers. The peacemaker has a heart for, for everyone. They want to bless everyone. They want to pro provide bread for the hungry, clothes for the naked and the poor. They want to visit the sick and the imprisoned, and they want to do all of it as unto the Lord. The peacemaker is not just concerned, though, with, with, with physical needs. They're also concerned with, with spiritual needs. Now, how exhausting does that sound? God makes you a peacemaker. It sounds like, oh, Lord, I will have no rest. Because the need in the world is enormous, right? It's endless. It's actually infinite. And guess what else is infinite? The supply of God. And so the key for the peacemaker is not to run off on their own. The key for the peacemaker is obedience. To only go where God tells you to go. To only do what God tells you to do. To only enter in where God tells you to enter in. Now there are some who, who say that the best translation of this is actually, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be the children of God. In other words, the peacemakers in the world are God's children. We have the assignment. Well, that makes perfect sense. You know why it makes perfect sense? Because Scripture says that he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given it to us. So as representatives of his kingdom, we are to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called, or they shall be the children of God. Peacemakers will have great compassion and affection toward people who have been hurt, especially people who've been hurt by the church. Especially. They love to encourage. They love to build up. They lo love to call people out of hurt and into abundance, into life, into health. Especially those that have been wounded by the church. I wish it weren't tr true. I wish that the church didn't hurt people. I, I really do. I but it's, it is true. It happens. And sometimes it happens... Because we're careless. Sometimes it happens because people are mean. Sometimes it happens because people perceive things in a way that weren't, it wasn't actually intended. So there are all sorts of ways. Sometimes the hurt is on the, you know, the side of the hurt-er, and sometimes the hurt is on the side of the hurt-e. But hurt is hurt, right? Hurt is hurt. And we don't want people to be hurt. And God doesn't want people to be wounded, especially by his family. And so the peacemaker will have a, an especially tender heart towards those that have been hurt by God's people. So when you look at this list of seven things, you would think, wow, okay. These are the characteristics. These are, 
the characteristics of people that, that are going to follow God. They're going to be humble and they're going to be repentant and they're going to be calm and they're going to be kind and they're going to be devoted to God and, and hungry and thirsty for Jesus and they're going to have sacrificial love for others and they're going to be forgiving. And if the people of God are like this, everybody will love them. Right? I mean, Gandhi said it this way. If we all acted like Jesus, the whole world would be Christian. Right? Wrong. He was wrong. He said it. He believed it. He was wrong. You know how I know that? Because Jesus acted like Jesus and they killed him. Pretty simple. But also, Jesus said, if you act like me, they'll treat you the way they treated me. If you act like me, they'll treat you the way they treated me. So, if you live like Jesus, you can expect to be persecuted, hated, lied about, maybe crucified. But Jesus also said, they will know that you're mine by the way you love. And in particular, by the way you love each other. And so, so what's the deal here? Jesus, you, it seems like you're saying if we, if we live like you, they'll hate us. And if we live like you, they'll love us. So which one is it? Which one is it? It's both, right? It's both. And we can never determine. We, we, we'll never know fully every time how it's going to turn out. And so our, our call from God is to love. Our call from God is to love. We are to be ambassadors and expressions of the love of God on the earth. And sometimes people will hate us for it. And sometimes people will love us for it. And for those who love us for it, the Bible says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. I know a story. I won't mention any names. But I know a story of a husband and wife who didn't live real, really well. They were, they, were, they were sketchy. They didn't get married under good circumstances. And after years, they wandered into church. And the church was small. It was a small country church, and everybody knew everybody's business. And the church knew. The story behind this, this man and his wife. And after several, I don't know, weeks, months maybe, uh, they were out of town one Sunday. And so, and, and the husband had actually called the pastor and said, we won't be there Sunday going on a trip. And the pastor stood up that Sunday and he said, this man and his wife, they've been coming to our church and you, you know their story. And it's not a pretty one. But we have a choice. We can judge them or we can love them. 
And they loved that couple into the kingdom. And I preached the husband's funeral. So, we have a choice. Guys, the, the, world, the world is not kind. And, and there are ample numbers of people out there who hate Christians. And we can get mad about it. And we can say it's not fair. <laughs> and we can call down fire from heaven. <laughs> but what we're called to do is to love. And, and where that love starts is here in, in, in our own house. It's, it's time for the nanya in church to stop. It's just time. And for us to start acting like the men and women that God has called us to be. And to represent him in love. I can promise you that we're not always going to please you. Riverstone is not always going to please you. Every decision we make, everything that we do is not going to make you stand up and cheer. But guess what? My, my wife might want to cover her ears while I say that. Say this. Everything you do doesn't make us stand up and cheer. But we love you. We do. I, I, I told our elders recently, and, and please hear me, this is as honest as I can be about Riverstone. I came here to do a job. I was in Athens. We were having the time of our life. God said, leave the place that you love and go here and help me start this church, and, and I said yes to a job, to an assignment. I, I never intended to fall in love, but I did. We love this church, and we, we feel like you love us. We do. We do, but we know we're not perfect, and, and we know you're not either. But we have to love, okay? We have to love. The world is, is looking. The ones that are not far from the kingdom are looking. They're watching us. And they have to see love or they won't believe. So, ask God to do it in you. I can't love her without him. I sure can't love you without him. You can't love me without him. So let's get it right. Jesus, love us, love in us, love through us so that we can be the people that you've called us to be so that the world will look and say, boy, they're different. I want that. I want that. 
people of the kingdom are like their king. Now let's pray. Lord, thank you for loving us so well. You're perfect. You're perfect, and, and we're not. But you're in us, making us like you. Thank you for that. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.